Do you have a backlog of customer interviews that you'd like to turn into case studies? Digital Sunshine Solutions can help. Give us your interview recording, customer information, and your messaging, and we'll create the narrative for your case study. For an extra charge, we can format the case study for you or even do the interview. Visit digitalsunshinesolutions.com for all the info. Welcome to the Tech Aunties Podcast, where we're bringing you industry context and vision from myself, Angelia McFarland, and Gina Rosenthal. On each podcast, we will share our marketing and technology industry experiences along with the tea. Listen to us as we explain the past so you can have context to understand and create your own version of the future. So let's get into it. Good morning, Angelia. Good morning, Gina. Got your tea ready? Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready for the day. I'm excited. I'm excited too. We're talking today with Allison Klein. She's the founder and principal of Tech Arena. Her insatiable curiosity for what inspires innovation drove her to found her first podcast over a decade ago. Wow. Can you believe that? She has reached over 10 million listeners and over 1,000 interviews with the industry's brightest stars. Allison created Tech Arena to shine a light on leading-edge innovation, featuring inspirational stories from the industry and unrecognized under-recognized voices. She leverages over two decades in the tech sector with executive roles at companies including Intel and Micron to her work. She holds an MBA from Portland State University, where she is now a professor in the business school and a bachelor's in marketing and management from University of Oregon. Allison leads a tech arena from Port. Lind, Oregon, working both with tech titans and breakout stars. Sound like our kind of girl. How you doing, Allison? Good morning. I'm very happy to be here. And um, I haven't heard that bio in a while. So Are that you? was kind of fun to listen to you read, Gina. <laughs> Welcome, Allison. Thank you. And so, yeah, so we're going to talk about, we're talking about the edge. All, oh, that's fun. All, um, all season, we're talking about the edge. So I know you've got your coffee, so you're ready to go and tell us all about the edge, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. So, so what I wanted to do first, and what I've been doing with um, the other folks that we've been talking to, is get the most important question out of the way. Um, edge has a different meaning for everyone. So, what do you? What? How do you define the edge? You know, it's funny. I used to have a really um, concise answer to that question. And I I used to call it data center class compute that exists out of traditional data centers. But I think that we've gotten more nuanced as we've gone. And there's concepts of the near edge and the far edge. And far edge, you know, can be at a device level of compute, something that's a point of sale transaction in a retail environment or, um, you know, technology that could be in a gas pump, right? That that could be edge. but then there's this concept of the near edge, which is a consolidation of compute that kind of matches my initial definition, where we see a value of driving compute capability closer to where data is originated. And and I think that this is such an exciting area because um, 
there's such potential. And then there's really pragmatic deployments that are happening that are actually delivering value today to customers. So, um, you know, sometimes the pragmatic and the the full vision don't actually line up perfectly for quite a while. And I think that's the period that we're in right now. So tell us some more about that. What kind of pragmatic deployments have you been seeing in your talking to folks? You know, I think that what we see is, you know, what the, the perfect example of where the edge is really proliferated is in content delivery networks. And I think that was happening before, but then the pandemic really um, accelerated that when everybody was at home watching Netflix and, you know, the, or name your content source of choice. Um, those providers really needed to find a way to house their content at scale closer to their customer bases. Right. So video proliferation and video transcoding at the edge is a perfect example of a use case that is something that is serving a real customer need right now. or maybe wants, um, maybe not a need. I'm just kidding. Um, but I think that when you look at, you know, beyond that use case and you get into traditional retail environments, you get into manufacturing environments, we see companies understanding that if they place compute capability into, you know, let's say a manufacturing environment that's doing some quality control analysis of visualization, you know, visual quality control as things move across the line, that's a perfect example of an edge implementation. And that's a pr pragmatic one, right? It's scanning a product, making sure that it's coming across the line, that um, it's meeting quality standards. But then you, ex uh, let's just extrapolate that a little bit further. And you say, oh, well, actually, there's some data here that could be gathered and give us some ideas about more broadly about our quality and what we could do to improve mm -hmm. our manufacturing processes. Um, you know, oh, we're, you know, we're going to start using AI. So it's not a, you know, it it's um, more precise in terms of analyzing that that product as it comes across the line. All of those things add complexity to the workload, um, maybe add additional workloads. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you get from pragmatic to full vision in my mind, where it's like, okay, the business and the IT department as their partners are thinking through what else can we use this data for? Yeah, How can we make our company better? And then I think as we move forward, the the big thing that I see, and I'm going to sound really cliche, but I think the big thing that I see as being something that's on on the forefront for the next wave of AI is how do we take advantage of generative, or excuse me, edge is how do we take advantage of generative AI for different um, you know workloads within business, and what does that need in terms of core ca compute capability at the edge for generative AI inferencing. You know, a chatbot is pretty simple. We can run it on our PCs. But I mean, we heard Intel talking about AI um, ready um, PCs coming by the end of, of the year. They know that that workload is, is um, emerging. Mobile devices are packing in way more memory yeah. to take advantage of AI at, you know, at the device level. So I think that those edge implementations are kind of on the forefront of what do we do next? Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. 
<laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Every time she kept talking, I was like, okay, there's another question. Okay, there's another question. <laughs> well, yeah. I, so my big kind of like analytical question, because it's a lot there and it's all possible, I believe. But remember when like the internet came out and you would get the AOL CDs and everybody packed their stuff on top of it, right? Gina, so I love these conversations with you because you take me back to like, do you remember the sound of a 56K modem? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But like, no, I'm, what I'm saying is everybody knew that was, that was the transition into the internet age, right? Yeah, right. And all the companies knew it. Speaking of content, they tried to shove as much content as they could on a brand new laptop, on the CDs that you would get to, you know, have a service provider. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I if go back to your manufacturing example, if you've got a, a line, a manufacturing line, and all of these product groups around it to do things with the product, marketing, mm-hmm. all the rest of it. Oh, well, if you can measure this, can you measure this piece and this piece? At some point, like, when is it? Or is that is that what AI is going to become as the the bloat buster to get down to right yeah. what what you should actually have and what you should measure and what makes the most sense or cause I could just see this go into a crazy place right you know I I want to take my technology hat off for a second and put my marketing hat on because I am you know have a career in marketing whenever I think about these things I think about my experience working in corporate environments and partnering with IT to go do things. And I think that this is the opportunity, which is IT and you know business functions forming tighter relationships to figure out the business value behind the data, and that's what it comes down to. Um, you know, I think that it's in those lines of business that you can determine that next use case, right? So if you've deployed to go back to our manufacturing example. If you've deployed that technology based on a very narrow definition of what is needed at the time, you probably haven't had that follow-up conversation with all of the business um, functions to say, what else could we use this data for, right? Um, And I think that those are the questions, you know, I have found as a marketer, you know, as leading large organizations, we were always really busy. Mm -hmm. It didn't really, those environments don't really lend to, hey, let's go sit out on the top of a mountain and think about what we could do with our data. Right. It's like, you know, we have to find time for that stuff. And that's where the next use cases I think will emerge. Um, But I think things are moving really fast. And I think that there is a risk for companies who don't really explore these topics of being disrupted by their competitors who do. I agree with you. So, you know, I think that AI is, is, is really putting like, you know, some pressure on that of maybe you could get away with not really embracing technology before, but not having a strategy for how you're using technology for, you know, I mean, think about marketing for how are you supporting, you know, your writers with chat GPT, for example. Right. Um, you know, th- these are questions that I think are much more urgent than maybe they were five years ago. I I completely agree. Did you have another follow up from all of the um, vision? I'm I'm excited that you have the tech and the marketing hat uh, because one of the things that I've been noticing when it comes to data 
AI edge is that we have all these capabilities, but I find that businesses focus very much on efficiency. They focus on how do I increase my pipeline? And there are not enough businesses focusing on looking at the data and their capabilities with the data and what their customers may need. So to that innovation point, that's part of your background as well. We don't we don't leverage the data and that access, that edge access that we have to say, how do I understand my customer better so that I, I can identify maybe what the next product is or what's a better way to serve them? I focus that right now, everyone's very focused on it. Business internal, like how can I make more money? How can I be more efficient? How can I get more sales? How do I meet this quarter? How do I meet this quarter? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess that was a statement and not a question. Yeah, but my question is, <laughs> is uh-huh. that with your background in innovation, do you see um, other any companies who are looking at it from that perspective? And if, and if the answer is no, what do you think is going to be the tipping point to make that happen? You know, I think that what I see is companies getting really savvy with account-based marketing and really understanding that they need to customize and personalize the customer engagement, whether they're a consumer brand who is engaging a shopper who's looking for their next fall outfit, you know, in that example, remember people's names, size, color palette. Yes. References, you know, customize that experience, right? Whether it's in store or online, you you can do things with technology and not all of them are creepy. Um, But business to business too. If you've got somebody coming to your site and you know that they're interested in a particular technology, serve up that experience for them, you know, guide them and and show them that they matter. Because I think that, we're getting more um, used to those kind of experiences. It doesn't feel like the minority report so much, like, you know, maybe it does, but <laughs> a little bit. Um, but I think that we, we like it when brands tell us that they know us a little bit in a way that we've offered some data about ourselves and they remember not that they're, you know, I mean, everybody's had the experience of like, I'm talking to my friends, I haven't typed anything into my phone. And all of a sudden, I'm getting served up things that right. are related to my conversation. And that's super creepy. Um, but what I'm talking about is, you know, I, I buy a lot of things at REI. Um, you know, can that website remember me? Can it remember um, that I wear ultras and alert me to the fact that they're having a sale on the latest model, right? And they're they're providing value to me at that point. I think that those use cases are going to be really interesting to follow. That's that's one area in marketing that I think is is important. And then I still don't think that marketers have really um by and large and and this is a broad statement maybe to too broad, but I, I don't think that marketers have really mastered the MarTech stack and really figured out yeah. the technologies at play. And that is an area which is moving very quickly. So how can they use that stack to to effectively understand pipeline yep. and understand not just how to meet the quarter, but the year and the three years, right? 
So what you know, I, where where are people on their journeys? So what do you? I mean, we've all worked in really large organizations. Do so you think some of the problem with the larger organizations is that um, all of the marketing functions are segregated from each other, mm-hmm. and so you really yeah. don't, you know, like you really don't get to unless you really work at it, you don't get to influence or even get a, a peek and decide to what they're doing on the technical side of marketing. Yeah, I think that there's that. And there's also, um, you know, I think that we've seen that marketing organizations are asked to do a tremendous amount with less people. I think in tech, I would love your guys' perspective on this, but I think in tech, um, there's a sense that anybody can do marketing. Yes. And so... Um, Even the techies. You know, <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, it may, may not be seen as a true discipline. So, it may not be staffed to support that as a discipline. So, it's it, it becomes somewhat tactical, right? Yeah. Um, I think that then it's also really understanding how you tie those business challenges to marketing strategies because you don't necessarily need to innovate everywhere. If it doesn't suit the business model, then why go invest in it? Right. But, um, you know, I think that technology, if there's a field that I think will be transformed rapidly, marketing is that field just with the, with the host of technologies. Yeah. At our fingertips, marketing is going to be transformed over the next decade in a way that I don't think anybody had, would have anticipated five years ago. Right. What do you think is going to be the biggest change like right now? To, and, and what will be the next big change to follow? I think that the biggest one right now is how do we integrate generative AI as a, you know, I just did an interview with Nidhi Chappelle, who runs the Azure infrastructure at Microsoft, and she said co-pilot like 17 times. <laughs> and I think, and I think, um, you know, let's use it as that, you know, ChatGPT being a co-pilot to different core capabilities in the marketing organization. You know, and I'm we're grappling that with that at the tech arena. How do we use these powerful technologies? But stay consistent with an authentic voice that's the thing um in our work right we can't just like spit out the the summary of chat gpt anybody can do that but it's not going to necessarily have the um perspective um that we can we can lend to it so it is a a foundational tool it's not a replacement um but i think that we're going to we're going to find many, many ways that we can implement that. And it's not just in writing. It's not just in let's create a quick blog and then, you know, do an edit to make it my voice rather than chat GPT's voice. Mm-hmm. It's also in planning. It's also in research. It's also, you know, a, a fantastic tool for um, amalgamation and, and synthesis of data. Right. And um, those who become really expert at figuring out how to integrate it are going to get ahead. And I've seen two responses from corporations. Some corporations are leaning into it and, you know, saying to teams, you know, use it every day, challenge yourself. And then other organizations are terrified of it and are banning employees from using it. I don't know why, because they don't want to make them more efficient. I'm I'm not quite sure <laughs> what the reason is. Well, but, I mean, you know, do you, is there any fear? Like, um what is the latest, you know, like it does chat GPT offer 
and I know all this is changing and I know Microsoft and OpenAI have new products to be able to private type, you know, bring your private data into it. But are there guardrails that are protecting IP? Are there guardrails that are protecting you from incorporating, um, like if you do a query on something basic that maybe a competitor has owned the answer to for all this time, you know, it has all of the top web hits for all the keywords around that topic. Obviously, if you use ChatGPT, you'll probably get a lot of their messaging and frame of mind on, well, I shouldn't say obviously, I would think using ChatGPT mm-hmm. would would lean towards that competitor's view of that particular fee, um, yeah. technology. So I think that's some of the fear, don't you think? Like, are, I think so, but like, that's why it's a co-pilot. <laughs> if and, my marketing and manager doesn't know... Exactly. My marketing manager doesn't know how to read that and and um, skew out the competitive language or, you know, then shame on us. But, you know, if, if it is a way for, you know, I was, I was working on a client proposal for um, hackathon names, random thing, yeah. right? Um, my creativity took me so far. And then I asked ChatGPT for ideas of hackathon names. It gave me some. Then I looked at them and threw out the ones that were really prevalent with different brands, right? Like, you don't want to recommend a hackathon name that, you know, I don't know, name your cloud service provider is using on the daily. (laughs) So, you know, I think that you have to use it effectively and be smart about it. But I think I think that the nuance that a lot of businesses are missing is that because of the way marketing departments are staffed and because of the time that we don't have to really do our good jobs, a good job, chat GPT does or and generative AI tools like it does the competitive work that we don't have the time to do. And I think because the way it's been presented is that it's a replacement for marketers is that's Mm -hmm. what they're thinking. They're thinking, okay, well you can go get this to do your job. Well, it's doing the piece of the job that I couldn't do before. I couldn't scrape the whole internet and find out all the other options. So oh, that, yeah, you could. I'm well, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I, so I couldn't. But yes, there were there are people who could. But so now chat GPT has that capability. And to your point, it wasn't so much that you were looking to chat GPT to give you the answer. You were looking for to do the research that we all too often don't have the time to do. And it just is able to do it faster and and better and with more context. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like no, that. Too. And I, but and, that's I awesome. and I wanted to, I want to take it back to the edge though, because right. that's where we started. I think that as we look at the more sophisticated use cases of this, I think there could be a, a tie-in with edge, and what core capabilities of data gathering you want to have um, to fuel stuff like this. Because as you mentioned, Gina, private data is going to be integrated into these powerful tools. And that's where things really start getting interesting. Right? I agree. You, yeah. When you can actually take organizational data and apply it, then just imagine what you can do, you know, when you can have a custom chatbot for your organization. You want to hear that's my gonna idea? That's be really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. This is my dream that will happen because as a product marketer in these big organizations, I had to run launches. Yeah. And oh, yeah. what took the longest time sometimes was just 
changing the data sheets, you know, of, uh-huh. my, of old legacy applications where this needs to come up. We need to insert this. Oh my God, we have to have this line in it someplace or they'll die. Right. So, but it, you know, you have to change. You, if, what if I had all the information for launch 3.0 and I'm on version 2.0 of the product and I could teach the, I could teach the um, AI, here's what my data sheet looks like. Here's what my competitive looks like. Here's what my sales questions looks like. Here's what the web page looks like. Here's all the new information. Now give me my launch materials. And it just gave it back to me. And then all I yeah. have to do is go take them and review them. How awesome yeah. would that be? That's my dream that will happen. But but to add on an edge component to that... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Is what if you f- what if you didn't even really have to go through the original process, but but the the chat GPT could do that at the point at which any person accessed. So, for example, let's say you have all these materials that you've created that nobody cares about anymore. That's really true. And so the let's say the only thing they care about is the data sheet. So the first time somebody accesses the data sheet, it replaces, you know, 2.0 the 2.0 name with the 3.0 or if they find it on the website it replaces the 2.0 name with the 3.0 mm-hmm. or if it's a commercial that you previously created right it generates a 3.0 image versus a 2.0 yeah. image to me and that's that's kind of combining all of that stuff with the edge and it's really in it's at the point of access that it's happening versus this historical collection of data and updating it um, I think that's gone, but I think that's even further out than the solution that you just talked about. Either one. But, either, and, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I don't even know if you need the data sheet anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you just need a chat GPT prompt. Yeah. And customers come in and asking questions and you've trained it to know your, you know, your yeah. positioning. Yeah. And it just spits it out in whatever format the customer wants. And if you think about marketing, exactly. you think about market. So that's a huge evolution but it's also to the point where you've taken this really time consuming really not difficult job to do but just draining time consuming um, thing that gets in the way of a launch a lot of times quite honestly and gets in front of gets in the way of marketers being able to be creative to reach customers to do all of the things we're supposed to do to tell their stories in a more compelling way so that's my dream yeah I I think that that's going to be the moment that's kind of like the AOL CD moment or like, you know, the first time you, you put an f- app on a smartphone and you're like, why do I need an app on a smartphone? Why can't I just go to the web? Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you know, there's things that just yeah. transform. And I think that is going to transform how we think about content marketing. Yeah, I hope so. Allison, can you go back to, you talked about the tech stack and marketers and I absolutely mm-hmm. agree with you. Um, and, with your experience, what would your advice be? Because so that you said that you also talked about the 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 lack of discipline around marketing, um, which which I agree with you. I believe that's a big problem. So, with your experience, what do you think would need to happen, either f- from a leadership perspective at a corporation? What should leaders do? What should marketers do themselves individually? To be able to correct this problem, because the way it stands today, I don't believe marketers have the respect um, or the ability to really mm-hmm. 
impact that tech stack? Yeah, I think that the the first thing is just fundamentally a shift of mindset within organizations from marketing being a cost center to a revenue center, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if if marketing is a revenue center, then IT and marketing should partner closely to figure out how marketing becomes a revenue generator. And in that, um, a MarTech stack and a pipeline and, you know, mm-hmm. how do you nurture how do you how do you develop um, your customer profiles? How do you ensure you've got an ABM strategy? How do you ensure that you've got the right CRM solutions? All of those questions kind of naturally flow from putting a mindset of revenue generation. Okay, and and I think that you know if I was if I went back to corporate to run a marketing organization again. I would say that investment in top talent in in that digital martech arena because it's moving very fast and you want people who are leaning forward into what solutions are coming and leaning forward into how do you take advantage of all of them because you can go to any one of these large companies and they're like oh we got salesforce right but are they really putting it to use, right? Yeah. They really know all of the core capabilities of that product or their competitors. I'm not just saying that Salesforce is the answer. You know, there's there's many solutions in the market. And they're all But on. I think that, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that that is, the, that is the question. And, you know, I think that really pushing the limits on where it aligns with your business, because every business is going to have a different objective. You could have a, a business that has, you know, a hundred customers around the world. That's it. Right. They don't, they don't need a broad awareness and nurture program because they know their customers intimately. What they need is a way to do that bottom of funnel engagement most effectively with their MarTech stack and and tie that very closely to their sales organizations. So that would be completely different than a broad consumer um, marketing challenge. But I think that, you know, understanding the business challenge, understanding what you're trying to accomplish from a revenue standpoint, and then what tools then just follow, bringing in the right talent to do it. Thank you. Thank you. answer there. Well, we got way far. I feel like we're far from the edge. And yeah, let's turned go back to, to the edge. This turned Gina. into a marketing <laughs> conversation, Angelia. <laughs> <laughs> I did not start the marketing conversation. <laughs> I think that was me. I did accelerate well, it's it. A good, it's a good example, though. It really is because the MarTech stuff is, exam- is exciting. So maybe we could stay there and use that as examples, or maybe we could use different examples. Either one is fine with me. Um, but like one of the things, you know, this innovation isn't happening without innovation with the infrastructure pieces. So, you know, from, from an edge perspective. So what do you see as critical innovations in infrastructure in that bottom part of the stack to support some of the MarTech stack? So what has to, to be okay. there on the bottom stack? What has changed in the last 10 years? Let's talk about infrastructure. And I think it's, I am more excited about infrastructure than I have been in like 15 years. So, you know, if we, if we start with the summary, let's put the far edge off for a second and say near edge, you're trying to build data center class 
infrastructure in non-data center environments. Well, that introduces some challenges for you around power, cooling, airflow. You know, you're going to have a, a challenging infrastructure design and and you're going to need um, technology that is going to be, you know, performant efficient and give you the core capabilities that you need. And one of the things that I've been, I've been spending a lot of time on AI um, infrastructure. I was at the AI hardware summit last week, talking to a bunch of the AI startups that are building silicon in this space. And, you know, when you consider the amount of power that GPUs pull to drive the training of the algorithms, when I talked to Nidhi, that I mentioned earlier, um, the woman that runs Azure's infrastructure, she referenced that they have hundreds of thousands of GPUs oh. training their algorithms. You know, but just imagine how much power that is, uh-huh. right? It's it's like it's awe-inspiring. So, you know, you're probably not training at the edge, but you're going to be doing inferencing at the edge. You're going to need some hefty hardware, and you know, I think that you're going to need new types of configurations. So technologies that are interesting, CXL is an interesting yep. technology that disaggregates CPUs from memory. Um, the chiplet um, trend is really interesting because you can build silicon. It's almost like, you know, the salad bar of silicon. Um, you can build silicon configurations um, in the ways that you want for your workloads. And I think that'll start at, you know, we, we see that in, you know, Intel, AMD, yeah, yeah. NVIDIA all use chiplets. But this is what I'm talking about here is more um, the UCIE standard and uh, Universal Chiplet Interconnect Express is what it's called. And the ability to have heterogeneous um, solutions based on multiple providers IP creating one silicon package. That's super interesting. To so, me. so wait a minute. So, okay. Hang on. <laughs> so the chiplets are the same as like the programmable chips or is this different no chiplet chiplet interconnects think about it as a way to modularize oh, okay. a semiconductor design okay and the ucie specification allows all of those little building blocks to be connected by an industry standard so if you think about something i mean it stems from pci express okay. if you think about pci express it's an industry standard that provides io into every single computer on the planet um or you know Ethernet would be, uh, you know, example of a network outside the box. But um, the UCIE specification actually isn't a standard for how chiplets on a piece of silicon wafer talk to each other, right? Oh, oh, okay. So you can, you know, take vendor A's CPU and build a chip around that with vendor B's accelerator, and vendor sees high bandwidth memory. Hmm. And that's pretty that's pretty cool stuff, right? That's where you start getting into some really interesting changes in the way that part of the ecosystem works. Uh, for so real. <laughs> um, those are kind of the trends that I'm looking at for infrastructure because then you get into, um, you know, composable infrastructure where you've got compute pools, memory pools, IO pools. Um, And that's going to hit the data center first. But I think that in the near edge where we talked about data center class computing, that'll happen. And then I think that then it gets into the area that you love, Gina, which is how do you orchestrate all this, right? How do you automate the workloads based on where you need them? And, you know, we've seen cloud native solutions um, 
start proliferating into the edge, Kubernetes starting to proliferate into the edge. But the main question that I have there is, you know, based on cloud, which assumes infinite compute and redundancy, the edge could have one system. So where does it fail over to? If you're building your, you know, your stack based on this concept of redundancy and failover, you may not have it at the edge. And I think that's why you're seeing some new types of orchestration emerging at the edge. I think that's the other area that's super interesting to me. Um, It's all coming together. All mm -hmm. of it is. Although you you keep saying near and far, and all I can think about is Grover. (laughs) <laughs> that's, no, that's exactly right <laughs> yeah that's all i'm going to think about today is grover that's good <laughs> and then some startup will launch and be called grover and you're going to be like i named that that was me that was that me was, that was you they listen to this podcast and like all of a sudden um new new orchestration <laughs> solution came into being <laughs> someone surely has thought of that already uh-huh. I can't exactly. believe that it would only be me. So yeah, I th- what I think, what I find interesting about all of it is that it has all happened in, it hasn't all just started. And I mean, cause the whole concept of containers is, is as old as Unix. So it's not like a, a something has started overnight, but it's really picked up and it's not as somebody else we've talked to. I don't know what order I'm putting these in, so I'm trying not to name names, but we talked to somebody else that, you know, like when everything first started, it was not stable. It was like a science experiment mm-hmm. and it didn't go together. And when you talk about AI infrastructures, I mean, I remember going to, um, oh, what's the one they have in December every year? Gartner? Reinvent? Oh, no, no, no. no. Uh, AI, uh, actually, hyper, uh, I don't even know what I'm saying. Supercomputing. <laughs> I got it. Supercomputing. Super, yeah. uh, supercomputing, like, maybe six or seven years ago when I was at VMware. And VMware was just starting to talk about, you know, we can do this with all of our versions. We can have any kind of GPU. We can do we can do it three different ways. And nobody wanted to talk to me because they thought that having that extra layer of management put so much... Um, this took away from their runtime. They couldn't be the fastest supercomputer. Too, in the too world. much overhead. Too much right. overhead, but none of that was true. And I think people are, we're to the point where people see that because anything, all the rest of the things that are out there now add overhead. They were just getting into containers too, the super, because it's very, it's very interesting to watch and to hear about the new um, startups and how people are approaching building supercomputers at this point um, because that has changed rapidly, rapidly, which to a, to a sector that doesn't change very easily because, you know, they, they've got blueprints for, they're in consortiums and this is how the hardware is going to look. And they buy it that way for five years until they have their big consortium review. And then they, they change how they're all going to do things and what kind of computers they're going to buy and what kind of software they're going to put on top and what makes it go faster. And nobody, do you think edge is going to change refresh cycles? Let's ask Allison first. Well, that's a good question. I think it's going to change how workloads are deployed across a continuum of spaces, right? The edge, let me think through this. The edge is um, going to lead to what I would call an era of distributed computing, right? Where you've got 
Absolutely. Centers of compute located in different environments, and you're basically moving workloads as needed to drive the best performance to where the data resides, right? Because it's easier to move a workload than it is to move data. Um, so it, I think it will change the concept of refresh cycles. Um, and I think that where I think we're going to see is this bifurcation of AI infrastructure and non-AI infrastructure in different refresh cycles and different requirements mm. for that, because you're, you're seeing a difference in the type of compute. So, and then I think that, okay. oh, one, one final trend on this, and then I'll shut up. Um, I think that we're getting into some technology domains where I start really questioning, does enterprise compute continue to evolve to address all of those needs because it's getting much more complex. Yes. And there are the haves and the have nots. An average enterprise can invest in hundreds of thousands of GPUs to Microsoft's um, quote. Exactly. An average enterprise also doesn't know how to build a supercomputer. And, you know, to mention, you know, supercomputing and the HPC or the high performance computing arena, that's very specialized infrastructure. And AI training today is being done not on average data center infrastructure. It's being done on supercomputers, right? That are all running in parallel. The people that are building those come from an HPC background because they understand how to build these massive parallel systems. Yes. And, um, you know, let's leave CXL and custom chiplets and all of the other stuff that we talked about earlier aside for a second. Just that core capability, they don't have the power um, infrastructure in their data centers. They're going to have to retool or build a new data center to do this kind of stuff. That could be a barrier for a lot yeah. of companies. Um, then they need to have the expertise on how to build a supercomputer. And and some companies do that, right? Like the automotive makers build HPC clusters so that they can do, you know, crash test simulations or design digital design of autos, mm-hmm. just as an example. So it's it's possible, but it's still, it's another barrier. And then go ahead. Yeah. So just to jump in real quick. So I was, what I was going to say, and I think this is a solution to this. It it is a different skill set for operations, but all of what we're talking about is a different skill set for operations, right? Instead of being, Uh it's just a very different, you have to be able to code. You have to know Linux. You have to be able to, to work in a different area than you might be comfortable in. Uh But when I was at VMware and we were working with NVIDIA, one of the big um, joint solutions was being able to do um, VDI by day and HPC by night mm-hmm. and being able to assign GPUs to so that all the virtual desktops would come up and work and be good and be able to see them. And then when everybody started going home and they weren't using their desktop anymore, then you started reclaiming those cycles to run HPC jobs. So run, yeah. right. So I think, I think that it, that might play a, a factor in a lot of things as f- refresh cycles one. So I don't know if you're running the computers that 
long and that hard, that might be make for the case for faster refresh cycles, honestly. But then repurposing what you have. And I also wanted to say somebody else we just spoke, we just spoke with Corey Young mm-hmm. um, a minute ago, talking about bringing all of these IoT devices online that shouldn't be online that are from the, one example she gave was from the 60s. So if you bring all of this, all of, all of these older and you're repurposing old systems that might impact the refresh cycle. But the only way we're able to do that is by understanding how to manage the infrastructure in a very different way that then we've, then we've managed it in the past. Mm -hmm. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think your example of what you did at VMware is a perfect example Mm -hmm. of when when developers are given an opportunity to think about how to use infrastructure, they find ways. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, the, the challenges that I'm saying to enterprise, I think that there's going to be just different paths that they take. And I think the industry will see that and say, okay, you know, can we do hyper-converged infrastructure here where we're, we're just selling racks to them and it's all, you know, re- pre-configured, you know, if you remember the stuff, you know, most notably that came from Cisco. Um yeah. You know, for hyperconverged, I think that that could have a play. But I think that, you know, I think that we're at this precipice. And to come back to Edge, how are organizations going to use Edge? How are they going to use the core capabilities of Edge? Are they going to do that as an on-prem Im- implementation? Are they going to partner with providers for it? Um, are they going to understand all the use cases? You know, are they going to really sit back and say, okay, now we have this data. Now, what else can we do with it? And we know they're all busy. And then with all of this infrastructure innovation coming and all of this um, stack innovation coming, for lack of a better term, you know, which organizations are going to lean forward in technology adoption and figure out how to use these core capabilities? Or are we looking at an acceleration of consolidation to, you know, the top five cloud service providers on the planet? I really hope not, because I think we all win when technology is diffuse. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think if you look at when these different technological changes have come about and, you know, we're standing on the precipice or the edge of this happening, right? So, but if you look in the past when that's happened, everybody thought sun would last forever. I mean, I sure did, but it didn't move past the three tier wars. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's probably something going to happen that we don't even see yet, but because it's all still cooking and bubbling up because we've got, you know, you're talking about the developers, give them a chance and they'll come up with something cool. This is what's happening. All of a sudden you're able to do things with infrastructure. You're able, that's why infrastructure is so exciting right now. You're able to connect in different ways and you're able to think about doing the things we never could do in the past. Um, so I think we're, we're waiting to see what's going to come up, which is what yeah. I think is going to happen. Yeah, I think that I would agree that AI could be the most impactful invention that humanity has ever come up with. Whoa, that's and a I big think, statement. And I think that um, when you have something that powerful, mm. you will have innovation pointed at it, right? It's not going to be. It's it's not going to be something where we're going to be okay with just having one silicon provider fueling all of it, or you know, a few a few companies delivering that core capability. I think that there's going to be tremendous innovation, and I can't wait to see how that um, emerges and how it affects the edge because I think the topics are totally intertwined. 
Yeah, I agree. I think AI is intertwined with every topic nowadays. But is that AI washing or is that really intertwined? I don't think it's AI washing. I think AI is an advance of of computing. I think I think in ten years, computing will be AI. Um, If you look at it as a broad category of analytics, machine learning, predictive, predictive. Um, uh, So and I think everything, I think all of the work, all workloads uh, will end up being AI workloads. I'm sure there's going to be one or two that just don't need AI. But for the most part, I think everything we do will have some level of machine learning at a minimum, um, predictability, predictability or generative capabilities would probably be mainstream. And then I think there's another level that we haven't even seen yet, which is this how level that everybody's been talking about. Um, I think that's coming too. So if y'all don't hear from me in 15 years, it's because I'm off the grid. Just saying, I'm putting it out there right now. <laughs> You're semi off the grid now, Gina. <laughs> I'm really not off the grid. I'm not that off the grid. Well, and then I, I'll just throw one more thing out. I know Uh-oh. we're probably way over time, That's but okay. when when you were talking, it, it brought me to back to the edge, and everything is going to be integrated with AI. The core cap- compute capacity at the edge with AI will enable things like autonomous like robotics to oh, actually yeah. take off um, those applications that we just don't have the core capabilities to, you know, they direct vehicles at scale right now. That's a perfect example of where you need that data center class compute. Did y'all see what happened at UT on campus the other day? No, I can't remember the company, so it's probably good. So I won't name them. They they test autonomous cars everywhere here. Just they probably do in Portland as well, right? But like uh-huh. they they all got stuck like behind each other, like twenty car, autonomous cars and gridlocked. Which UT at certain times of the day is already. Oh gridlocked. my goodness! No, I didn't hear gridlocked about that. campus. It was pretty funny. So yes, yeah. we are not there yet, but we are getting we have there. To- Iron out the kinks. Yes. <laughs> a lot of kinks to iron out. <laughs> All right. So we want to end with um, tea time. So we try to bring the tea with every episode. Um, so we try to think about, try to bring new insight or controversy into the conversation. I think we brought a lot of insight into the conversation. And I had a pretty lame tea time written down. So I think we've kind of already blown. You said that for the last tea time and it ended up being great. No, I didn't say the one I had in there last time. <laughs> That's why I didn't. Oh, you changed it. I changed okay. it on the fly. <laughs> so let's see if I can change this one on the fly. And um, do you think that, you know, we've all, we are aunties. We are the tech aunties, right? So like uh-huh. we, we've, we've been in the business for a little bit. Um, do, do you see women being breaking out of the typical stereotypical role that has been assigned for us in tech and leading some of these innovations? Do you think that's going to happen with all of this promise of innovation? Do you think a woman will lead it? I think there's incredible women involved in AI right now. Um, When you look at the leading thinkers in AI, there's quite a few that are female, and I'm happy to see that. Yeah. Name a few um, that you think, if you don't mind, that you think are, are ones to watch. 
Oh God, I knew you're going to put me on the spot and I'm so sleep deprived right now. <laughs> I'm going to have to come back with you with names, but I know That's they okay. exist. We'll that part. Um, <laughs> I agree. I, um, I know some too, but I don't know if I get okay. names. We'll so thank thank you, Gina, for being kind <laughs> to me. I know they exist. I saw, I've seen them on panels. Um, I think that we are still challenged with a great divide in tech that there is a tech bro culture. And, you know, when you look at anything from VC funding to boardrooms to, you know, who is the technologist leading the guard, I think that you can see that women are still struggling to break out in different types of roles. Now, are there absolute rock stars in tech? Yeah, there are. And I had the pleasure of working with many of them and they're fantastic people. Um, But, you know, I've also seen it play out many times that as a woman, I'm the only woman in a room full of men Mm -hmm. and, you know, carrying the extra responsibility of that voice is something that I don't think men will ever understand. Mm-hmm. And and even those that try, I don't think they really ever understand the weight that we carry in those environments to represent our our perspectives. Um, I did a podcast with Jahan Manton from um, Project Inkplot, who talks about inclusive design. And it was, I mean, I've done over 50 podcasts this year, but um, this is one of the most inspirational stories because what she's talking about is you can't we we are all creators first of all we're all designers is is her term and you can't design and maximize the value of that design unless you have full inclusion in the design process um including what i loved is when you're going out and talking to your customer segments, talk to the person that's negatively impacted by your product or service. Yeah. And understand their perspective, right? And understand how you you bridge and address that. I mean, like yeah. that was so beautiful. But I think that, you know, tech is being challenged to solve some of the world's most pressing problems and transform society. Yet we're still driven by design teams that are, you know, 90% male. Yeah. And, you know, and from various geographies around the planet that don't represent the collective, right? Right. So, what can we do to, to bring attention to that? You know, I think it's, it's teaching females in organizations to be bolder. It's giving training to males around inclusion. It's, um, you know, encouraging females who show up as tech um, undergraduates not to go into marketing, which happens a ton. It's like, oh, you should be the person that writes our messaging. It's like, what? Like, you know, that happens so much. Yep. Um, you know, I think that those are the things that that we need to keep doing, but I don't think that we're there yet, unfortunately. Yeah. I think marketing is a powerful profession. We've allowed men to diminish it. I, I, I think that's a great statement. 
I, I think it is a, it, I believe that engineering is a very important profession. I believe it's powerful because engineering, software design, they create things, but it's the marketers who move it forward. And typically if you're a tech marketer, you have to be savvy enough to be able to understand the technology that's under it. So I believe marketing is a powerful profession. The problem is, is that we educate people in that in that profession. And then we put them in positions where all they do is write messaging and spec sheets. And so we underutilize them and we diminish their capability. Maybe, maybe that will be one of the innovations. If we find a way that we can um, automate with AI, the tech sheets, maybe not so much the messaging, but, you know, get a way to get it to a certain point and then go from there. Maybe that frees up those creative People to do creative things. Do more things. Right. That would be a great use of AI, of generative iotomy. Well, thank you so much for getting up early and talking oh, to yeah. us from the, are you the left coast? You're the left coast, right? Yep, that's right. The left okay. coast. And we're happy that you came. And um, are you going to be at Edgefield Day? Um, I will not be at Edgefield. <gasps> I've got vacation that week, but I will oh, be at nice. Field Day if you're going to be there. No, I don't think I'm going to go there. I think okay. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping mine to a minimum for the rest of the year. Maybe I'll go crazy next year. I don't know. Yeah. Ships passing in the night, Gina. I know. I mean, I know. <laughs> well, I'm glad I got to see you today, this morning. Yeah. It was to nice to meet you, Allison. Nice to meet you too. We'll chat more next time. Thank you for joining us today on the Tech Aunties podcast. If you have a topic you would like us to cover, please connect with us on LinkedIn and Instagram. You can also find this episode and others at techaunties.com. Until next time, y'all be sweet.